morning, Living Hope. This is Pastor Benjamin coming to you from Seoul, Korea. Actually, I'm not in Seoul, Korea. I'm at the Willy Hilly uh, Resort, Ski Resort, uh, where I'm with New Philadelphia Church for their annual church-wide retreat. And we're having a powerful time. Dr. Kirby Clements is dropping wisdom like crazy. Uh, tonight, Pastor Robert Daniels is going to drop wisdom like crazy. Tomorrow morning, Dr. Clements is going to drop some more wisdom like crazy. And then tomorrow night, I'm going to preach, and Monday morning, I'm going to finish up this retreat. So it's going to be a, uh, it's, it's already been a wonderful time, and it's going to continue to be a wonderful time we're having here in the Lord. But I'm coming to you by way of video, because I have some very important things to share with you, because today is a very important day. But before I get to that, you're going to hear some laughter and some amens and some, you know, you already heard some noises in the background, because I'm not in this room by myself, but there's a group of New Phileans, I call them New Phileans. That have joined us for this broadcast today and they are here in the room and so this is kind of an international fellowship between New Philadelphia Church in Seoul and Living Hope Christian Center in Emeryville, California. So let's do this. New Philly, can you say hi to Living Hope? Just give Living Hope a shout out real quick. Go ahead, go. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Now, all the way over there in Emeryville, California, Living Hope, can you give a shout-out to New Philadelphia Church and Soul? Come on, Living Hope, go for it. Give them a shout-out. Come on. I trust it was a big one. Amen. All right, today is the first day of our new focus for our One Things process. For most of you who have been with us, you know that One Things is an 18-month process uh, it's actually a two-and-a-half-year process in which we are looking at eight different areas of development in the life of the believer. We've already had our spiritual focus in the months of June, July, and August last summer. And then in the fall, September, October, November, we had our focus on, uh, on physical, uh, physicality, physical health. And then we began this year with a three-month focus on financial blessing. And now we're going to continue this year with a three-month focus on the family. Now, um, the theme for 2014 is back to the blessing, back to the blessing. That's our theme for 2014. And in our first financial series, we talked about what it means to go back to the blessing in regard to our finances. We talked about what it means to reside in the land of financial blessing. Now that we're moving into the realm of the family, we're going to talk about what it means for God to bless your family. We're talking about the land of the family blessing. That is, God wants to bless your family, but there is a land, there is a realm in which God will bless your family. And in order to enter fully into the blessing of God upon your family, you've got to learn to live in that realm. Now, as we begin, I'd like to draw your attention to a portion of Scripture that we looked at from the very beginning of this year. Genesis chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Genesis chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. And... You cannot talk about the blessing of God without talking about this passage of Scripture. This passage of Scripture is foundational for our understanding of what it means for God to bless us and specifically the conditions within which God will bless us and within which He will not. We love to use the word blessing in the body of Christ and in the church. But we often fail to recognize that the blessing of God is a highly conditional reality. God will not bless you under any circumstances whatsoever. But God's blessings are most often in Scripture connected to His commands. 
And if we walk in obedience to his commands, then we step into full alignment with his blessing. And as we begin this series, I want us all to understand that God has a blessing for us that exceeds the walls of the local church. That God has a blessing for us that is not monetary in nature. So often when we talk about blessing, all we can talk about is money. I got blessed. Well, how did you get blessed? Well, I went to Safeway and chicken was 19 cents a pound. It was on sale. And so, man, what a blessing that was. I found a coupon that I didn't know I was looking for. I found a $20 bill on the street. I got blessed with a new promotion at my job. Or somebody blessed me by giving me an offering when I needed it. We're talking about financial blessing. And that's typically the realm in which we understand blessing. Another realm in which we understand blessing is some type of internal experiential phenomena. Some type of internal benefit. When I was listening to that message, I got so blessed. When I heard that podcast, I got so blessed. When that worship team was leading, the Spirit of God was there so present that I got so blessed. When I sat down and had coffee with you, I got so blessed. We're talking about some internal benefit that I derived in a particular context from a particular experience. But the blessing of God is more tangible than that. It's not simply experiential. It's not purely financial, but the blessing of God also extends into the realm of your family. And when we're talking about family life, we're talking about a realm in which most believers are tormented. Believers are tormented in the realm of finance, but believers are tormented also in the realm of family. And many of you listening to this message today, you got stuff going on in your family that's tormenting you, that you're, you are vexed to the very core when you see what's going on in your family. And I want you to know today that the promise of God is about to break out in your family. And we're going to spend the next three months talking about the ways in which God wants to bless your family and what he's calling us to do in order to live fully in that land of the family blessing. Looking at Genesis chapter two, 12, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, this is what it says. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house. To a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now. I want to start with the substance of the promise in this passage of scripture. And the substance of the promise is, I will make you a great nation. God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. The problem is that Abraham did not even have a great family. And implicit in the promise that God was going to make him a great nation was the promise that he would begin by making him a great family. Because, see, you can't have a great nation without a great family. Abraham would never become a nation until he had first become a family. Now, so we got to get this in our minds and hearts because it's so easy for us to go straight to the cosmic blessings of God. We go straight to ask of me and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. And we're praying for North Korea and we're praying for Jerusalem and we're praying for the power of God to break out in the nations. But we don't spend any time praying for our families. Because I believe that God could send revival in North Korea, but I don't believe that God can send revival in the Johnson family. You hearing what I'm saying this morning? 
And so God wants to lift our eyes before he lifts our eyes higher to the nations. He wants to take our eyes down to the place of the family. Abraham had a great organization. He had a great company. The scripture says that there were 318 men who had been born in Abraham's house. And that great company came in handy in Genesis chapter 15 when Lot was carried off captive by the five kings. Abraham at that point called out the 318 men that were born in his house. They had been trained, the scripture says, and they armed themselves and Abraham led them to battle. During the time of war, during the time of battle, it's good to have a well-organized company or a highly trained army. But when, Je when Abraham comes back from that experience, actually Genesis 14, he comes back broken from that experience. In chapter 15, he cries out to God, what can you do for me, seeing that I have no son and that Eliezer of Damascus is going to be my heir. That is, Abraham comes back from obtaining victory on the battlefield and says, Lord, victory on the battlefield is, is good, is I. It's great to have 318 employees in my company who are highly trained and excellent and competent in what they do. And they bring all of their skills and all of their callings to the table and into the service of the company. And they know how to execute their roles. And they're all submitted to each other's authority. And they, they all bring the best out of each other. But that is not yet a family. And he says, God, what can you do for me? Yes, I have a great organization, but I don't have a great family. The pain that Abraham felt in Genesis 14 is a pain that many in the body of Christ feel. We find that we can be excellent at church, but not excellent when we go home. We find that we can preach and teach well on Sunday mornings, that we can lead the Sunday school well. We can, do, we can, we can tear up a small group. We can prophesy the heck out of somebody. We can lay hands on the sick and heal them, but all in the church. But we don't know how to go home and believe God for our families. And so Abraham cried out, God, I've got excellence in the workplace, but what I don't have is life in my family. Me and Sarah are alone. Now, isn't it interesting that if you go back to Genesis 12, before God promised Abraham a family, the first thing he said was, get up out of your father's house. Leave your family. He says, I'm going to bless you with family, but first you've got to leave your family. You've got to turn your back on your family. It seemed like God was saying to Abraham, abandon your family and I'll make you a great family. And that doesn't seem to make any sense, is it? It doesn't make sense whatsoever. God says to Abraham, if you want my blessing upon your family, you've got to get up out of your father's house. And you need to understand as believers in Jesus Christ that before you begin to see the power of God move in your family, first God has to make a distinction within your family. Abraham was the beginning of a new lineage. When God called Abraham to get up out of his father's house and to go to the place that he would show him, he was saying to Abraham, the blessing that I have in store for your life is not going to flow through the line that you've come from. You're the beginning of a new line. You're the beginning of a new lineage. You're the beginning of a new blessing. Now, some of you can look back and, at generations in your family and see what the devil has done to destroy. You will not be able to redeem your family retroactively. 
That is, you can't go back in time and change what your cousin did and change what your mama did and change what your daddy did. And trying to heal everything that's happened in the past in your family is going to be found to be a completely fruitless endeavor. you got to be like the Apostle Paul. He said, I forget what's behind me and I reach for what is ahead and I press toward the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. And when we talk about the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus for your family, it begins when God... God sets you apart within your family lineage and says, now I'm doing something new in you. Now I'm doing something new in you. You know, I read a testimony of, a, of an individual who, who, was, who was broken and weeping because his niece and, and her daughter had come to his church. And he said uh, he wasn't expecting to see them that day. But that day, they were talking about breaking what the enemy had done in family lines. And what he was talking about is drawing a line in the sand and saying, no more in Jesus' name. This has happened in my family so far, but I represent a new generation. And this goes no further in me. And he was broken because his niece's daughter, his great niece, had written on a little sheet of paper. She was only nine years old. And she wrote on that piece of paper, no more divorce in Jesus' name. And he was broken because he, his, her mother had been divorced twice. And her mother had been divorced. Divorce had come down through the generations. But at nine years old, she said, I can't fix what happened to my mom. And I can't fix what happened to my grandmother. But I can make the decision right now that it will not continue with me. No more divorce in Jesus' name. And, and, and when we begin to realize that we're able to draw a line in the sand, that the blessing of God enables us to draw a line in the sand and to put a stop to things that the enemy has done for generations in our family, then we understand that we are the prophetic hope of our family. That is, when God does something different in you, it, it ministers to and heals your whole family. In other words, if that little girl's mother sees that she grows up and gets married and stays married, it heals something in her mother's heart, and it heals something in her grandmother's heart. That is, the whole family is blessed because this one member of the family, even though a little girl made a decision at a young age, this stops with me. This goes no further. And let me tell you something, I don't care how awesome your family is, your family's got some stuff. And there's some stuff that you need to leave behind. And this is the thing that you need to get in your spirit. There's stuff that you need to identify in your family line that is wrong. But you're going to acknowledge that it's wrong without judging those who have come before you. Because all judgment does, bitter roots of judgment spring up and cause trouble, and by them many become defiled. And so if you hold a bitter root of judgment in your heart towards someone in your family line, your father, your mother, they mistreated me, your grandmother, they did this, your uncle, your aunt, they, missed, they did this, and I will never do that. It comes out of that place of anger. It comes out of that place of bitterness. It comes out of that place of rejection. It doesn't heal your family line. It actually sets you up to perpetuate the very thing that you hate. Because if you say it in anger and if you say it in bitterness in your heart, I will never do that. I will never do that. Bitterness does not have the power to transform your life. But bitterness is in and of itself the seed of the thing you hate. And if you harbor the bitterness of the thing that you hate in your heart, you will reproduce it, whether you like it or not. The only way to move forward is to forgive those who have come before you. And to, and to say what Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they did not know what they were doing. That is the only way that I can move forward. 
The only way forward is to move forward non-judgmentally. This stops with me, but I don't say that to judge those who have come before me because they did the best they can. And I love them and I'm going to honor them. I'm going to continue to honor them and bless them. What God does in my life that's different will be a blessing to them, not a contradiction to them. Excuse me. Amen. Amen. But we have to talk about the land of the family blessing. And as I said in the middle of, in the beginning of this message, the title of this message is the land of the family blessing. Because God says to Abraham, I will bless you. I'll make you a blessing. I'll make you a great nation. In you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. But first, you've got to get up out of your father's house and you've got to go to the place I'll show you. If you stay where you are, the blessing will not break out in your life. See, this is what we want as believers is to stay where we are. But God, just bless me where I am. And God says, nope, if you want my blessing, you've got to reside in the land of blessing. Because make no mistake, the land of promise and the land of command are the same land. And the command and the promise, they dwell together. If you forsake the one, the other will leave you. But if you cling to the both, if you cling to the one, the other will come. If you cling to the command, the promise will come. But you cannot cling to the promise and forsake the command. Neither can you cling to the command and forsake the promise. The promise and the command are inseparable. Abraham, get up out of your father's house and go to the place I'll show you. And I will make you a great nation. I cannot help but bless you. And the reason God connects his promises to his commands is because we need reassurance, right? I mean, when God makes you a promise, you need reassurance, right? Say yes. yes. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you need reassurance, right? But what, is the, what reassurance can God give us? He can say it to us a hundred times. But when God gives us a command that we can obey in a discernible way, he says to Jeremiah, Go to the potter's house, and there I'll speak to you. Once Jeremiah arrived at the potter's house, he had a firm reason to expect, now God's going to speak to me. That is, obedience becomes your greatest form of reassurance. So I say, I know God's going to bless me. So well, how do you know that? Because God told me that if I came here, he would bless me. And I'm here. And so God cannot help but bless me. Why? Because I have been obedient to what he has commanded. You want God's blessing on your family? Then you must learn to be obedient to what he commands. Obedience is the realm in which God will bless our families. But we must talk about what it means to be obedient. Now, I want to talk about the family a little bit. The first thing I want to say is that as a believer... And as a human being, we must prioritize. Everything is important, but not everything is of equal importance. And some things are unimportant. And so we must discern the difference between those things which are of utmost importance, those things which are of secondary importance, those things which are of tertiary importance, and those things which are unimportant. And we must make it a point Every human being has to do this. We've got to learn to focus our lives. Because an unfocused life tries to move in every direction at once, and ultimately, it moves nowhere. 
The question is, how do we focus our lives when it comes to the family? And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that there are three potential realms of focus for the believer. Three different realms of focus for the believer. And if you spend any time looking at the church, and especially all of you as you get older and begin to have families, you'll find that there are three different types of focus for believers. Three different very prominent types of focus. What we find is that some believers are family focused. Other believers are church focused. And still other believers are world focused. So go to the first slide. If we look at this first slide, this is what the family focused believer looks like. The family focused believer, his center is his family. The family is the center. The family is the priority. And outside of the realm of family is the church and the world. Now, you don't have to look very far in Scripture to find biblical support for being family-focused, for focusing on your family. For instance, Paul says at one point that if a man fails to take care of his family, he's worse than an infidel. Right? So the family is very important. We have a responsibility, I have a responsibility as a father to raise my children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So if my daughter grows up and hates God, that was a problem with me and my parenting. And it's a problem with my ministry because while I was out running with the church, my daughter is going to grow up to become a hellion, right? I can't have, I can't raise sons of God in the church and then raise a son of Satan in my own home. So I have a responsibility to my family. It is utmost. Joshua said, if, you know, he said it in Joshua 24, verse uh, 15, I believe it was. He said, I know not what course others may take. He said, if it, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve. But I know not what course others may take. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He didn't say I will serve the Lord. He said me and my house we will serve the Lord. So I have an obligation to my family. I've got an obligation to love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. I have an obligation to raise my daughter in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Not to rebuke her so harshly that she becomes despondent or discouraged. But, but to be gentle with her. And I have an obligation to teach her the scriptures which are able to save her soul. I have an obligation in my home. I have an obligation in my family. But the family focus believer says, I'm going, to, I'm going to focus all of my attention on this realm, the realm of the family. I'm going to see to it that my family has what they, what they need. And I'm going to see to it that I give my attention to my wife and to my children and that they get all of my attention. And I'm not going to allow the church to get involved in our lives because if I allow the church to really get involved in our lives, it's going to disrupt what we're doing in the family. So we ain't got time for all that church stuff. We ain't got time. And I don't have time for to be in the world either. Why? Because I am a family focused believer. I'm going to focus on the family. And I want to suggest to you that that is idolatry. Because when my family becomes my everything, my family becomes my God. And you can tell what your God is by what has the power to command your attention. And if my family is what commands my attention at every moment, then my family has become my God. And so in seeking to be faithful to God in my family, I have made my family my God. And now at the end of the day, my family will not serve the Lord. Why? Because I'm too busy serving my family as God 
to teach my family how to serve God. And so it's a form of idolatry and it's unbalanced. Okay? So the next slide, now we see the church-focused believer. So I'm not going to do that first one, right? I'm going I'm to be an example to my family of what it means to serve the Lord. And so I'm going to go to the church and I'm going to sign up for every ministry they have available. I'm going to be at every service. I'm going to be an usher and a greeter. And then I'm going to jump up on the platform and play keyboard on the worship team. After the service, I'm going to minister at the altar. And then I'm going to stay for the leadership meeting after church. I'll be there Monday night to clean the bathrooms. Tuesday night to vacuum the floors. Wednesday night Bible study. Thursday night usher meeting. Friday night prayer meeting. Saturday, I'm going to be there for Sebekido for early morning prayer. All right? And I'm going to be, I'm going to show my family what it means to serve God in the context of the church. And this also is idolatry. Because God is Lord over the church. The church is not God. And if the church is what commands my obedience and nothing else, then the church has become my God. And I have become so focused on the church that my family goes to hell. And we've seen so many examples of this, especially in the last 50 to 60 years of church history, that we have seen the most renowned pastors in the world raise kids who are on their way to hell. Why? Because the pastor spent so much time in the church and not enough time in his family, caring for his family. And so I can't do that. The the church-focused believer won't allow his children to have any extracurricular activities. Don't talk to me about soccer. Don't talk to me about Taekwondo. Don't talk to me about basketball or baseball. you got to be in church every night of the week. And that kind of young person grows up hating the church, hating the ministry, and can't wait till they get old enough to be able to put their foot down and say, no more, now I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. And so this also is unbalanced, and it's a form of idolatry. Now the third focus, the third slide, is what we call the world-focused believer. The world-focused believer. It's all about my job. When I'm talking about the world here, I'm not talking about, you know, what Paul says, the pattern of this age in Romans chapter 12. I'm talking about the physical world. I'm talking about going to the, going to the grocery store. I'm talking about getting a career and a job, right? I'm talking about getting your finances and moving them forward, investing. I'm talking about these types of things. The world-focused believer says, my career is all important. My educational pursuits are all important. You know, when I hear people say, I just ain't got time for family. I just ain't got time. You know, you talk talk to people who are marrying age. You know what I'm talking about? You know, there's folks that are marrying age. Uh, How old are you? I'm 35 years old. Are you married? No, I I just don't have time. I just don't have time. Oh, really? So you're going to have a time in your life when you actually have the time. When you're less busy. Right? Really? If that were the case, I would have never got married. You think I got time now? No, I got less time now than I did then. But it's the world is so all important. Pursuing my career goals, continuing my education, that I have time for neither church nor family. I don't have time for any of it because I'm going to work around the clock at the office. I'm going to get those promotions. I'm going to get those reviews. I'm going to pour myself into these pursuits that are going to take me to the next level in the world. And I'm going to climb the corporate ladder. And this also is a form of idolatry. Because I'm not serving my family and I'm not serving the house of God. And God commands us to operate fully in all three of these realms. None forsaking the other. 
Let me describe for you the land of the family blessing. Go to the next slide. The land of the, next, uh, the, land of the family blessing is a land that is characterized by full involvement, full immersion in all three of these realms. If you look at it, the believer there at the center is fully present in all three of those realms. Fully present with my family, fully present in the church, and fully present in the world. If I become fully present in the church, but absent in my family, I've neglected my family. If I become so present in the church that I'm absent in the world, I have no witness whatsoever. If I become fully present in the world, but completely absent in the church, now there's no life flowing through me in the world. So my time in the world is not a witness, but instead it's going to weigh on my spirit and it's going to drag me out into the deep. And so I have to learn to live in all three of these realms and to be completely present to the best of my ability in each. And we call that balance. The balanced believer has not forsaken one world. And this is what we have to listen, my brothers and sisters, we must avoid the temptation to abandon one of these worlds. See, this is what we tend to do. We find that we've become too present. We're unbalanced. I'm so present in this world that I'm absent in this one. So what do I do? I completely abandon this world so that I can go over here. So what, what tends to happen is, so I'm, I'm focusing on my family. And then I realize I'm not doing anything in the church. And God convicts my heart. I need to be serving the people of God. So what do I do? I go way over here to the church and I tell my family, you know what? I've been in the wrong. I haven't served God at all. I haven't been an example to you guys. So from now on, you're never going to see me again. Because I'm going to be at the church day and night. Matter of fact, I just got off the phone with Pastor Joseph, and he signed me up for 28 different ministries. And so I'm going to be at the church. Matter of fact, I quit my job. I'm working at the church now, full time, for free. So I'm not paying the rent no more, right? And so, now, I mean, if you did that to your family, now, number one, if you're a husband and you did that to your family, your wife would slap the mess out of you. I mean, if I said that to my wife, my wife would slap the mess out of me. See, what I find is that when my wife says to me, I need more of your attention. See, what I used to do is offer up an excuse. Do you know how busy I am? Do you know what I got going on in the church? Don't you understand? You're supposed to support me. I used to offer up all of those excuses and Pastor Daniels would just rebuke the, the, the mess out of me. So that's no excuse. You cannot neglect your family because you're serving the Lord. I cannot abandon the realm of family. Because I need to be more involved in the church. I've got to find a balance between church and family. Which means I've got to begin to get involved in the church without abandoning my family. And it's dynamic. I've got to find out where that balanced place is. Sometimes I get so involved in the church that I begin to realize my family is, is being neglected. So I've got to pull back a little bit. Pull back slightly. And become more involved in the home. And then I find, okay, now I'm, I'm, I'm not involved enough in this world, so I pull back slightly and I try to bring my family with me. It's, it's a dynamic thing, not a static thing. It's very dynamic. But on the other side, and this, I see this one more than any other time. I realize, you know, pastor, I realize that my family needs me right now. So I'm going to quit all ministries in the church, effective immediately, and I'm going to not be involved in anything in the church because I'm serving my family. And I'm just going to serve my family full time. That also is a fallacy. 
It is, it is abandoning one world. You know what I'm going to, I realize that, that something's going on in my family, so I'm going to quit my job. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a time and a place for each of these. But that's a very dangerous place to be. You must understand that it's a very dangerous thing to do and that you don't do it unless you have been counseled to do so by your covering. This is so important. This is so important. This is so... If my spiritual father were to tell me, you need to step down from your ministry and deal with this, that's when I do it. Not because I feel like, oh my God, it's all out of whack. I'm going to take myself out of it. I need to receive counsel before I make that decision. Because otherwise, what tends to happen is if I isolate myself in one of those worlds, it's a never-ending street. I just get sucked deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. If I isolate myself in the realm of family, then I find myself at a place all of a sudden where not only are my children doing soccer, but they're doing soccer and karate and chess club and debate team and swimming and track and field and, and their, their you know, AP classes. And pretty soon we have scheduled our lives to the point where there's absolutely, absolutely no space for involvement in the church, in the things of God. Or on the other end, I'm in 28 different ministries and there's absolutely no space. I can't go to a soccer game with my daughter because I'm involved in so many different things. And so we have to find the balance. God wants to bless us. And, and when we see a lack of blessing in our families, in our immediate families, when we see, and those of you who are single and you're not married and you don't have children yet, you need to get this in your heart and mind now so that when you do get married and have your own families, you'll understand this and know how to reach for this balance. And this balance is not something that's obtained overnight, but we have to grow into this balance. And it's a give and take, and it's a push and pull, and it's a learning and tweaking and, and growing. I've made, and I'm not, I'm not preaching at you like I've never made these mistakes. I've done this again and again and again. My wife can tell you stories about times when I was at all-night prayer meetings at church, but she was home so sick that she couldn't even hold any food down. That was wrong for me to be at that prayer meeting. I should have been home taking care of my wife. But no, it was so spiritual. i got to be at the church praying, you know? And then other times when we forsook things in the house of God because there was some family thing we wanted to do that actually was less important than what was happening in the house of God. It's the same thing on your jobs. Those of you who are in the marketplace, it's easy for me to talk a lot about church and, and family because those are the two realms in which I live. But those of you who are engaged in the marketplace, you've, it's a push and pull and a give and take. You say, well, I want to be so involved. You know, you know, I've seen people that get so involved in their jobs and, and all of a sudden they're going to all these meetings and going, uh, you know, traveling around the world and, and wonderful things because they're being promoted. But now they don't have any time to be discipled and to be developed do not forsake your development because you're being promoted. But in fact, you've got to seek a deeper level of development so that you can sustain the promotions that God gives you in the marketplace without losing your spiritual vitality. You see? And so we've got to learn to live. And so when we look at our families, we can look at our families and, and if we see a, a lack of blessing, there's a lack of spiritual vitality in my family, a lack of unity amongst the members of my family. There's a lack of oneness of understanding, excuse me, a lack of reconciliation. We have conflicts that we just don't resolve. When we see that lack of blessing in our families, it always comes down to an imbalance. If we go back to that last slide, 
It always comes down to an imbalance in one of these realms. I can look at it and say, maybe I'm too involved in the church and my family needs more of my time. Or I can look at it and say, maybe I'm giving my family so much of my time that I am teaching them that being involved in the house of God is absolutely unimportant. And maybe that's why there's a lack of spiritual vitality. <clears throat> or maybe I'm not allowing those worlds to mix. Maybe the members of my family have never seen me pray or crack a Bible. And I'm not just talking about it's one thing for me to call my family together and lead them in prayer. But it's another thing for me to do it on my own and let my family see it. Now I'm an example to my family that each of us are growing up as individuals in the kingdom of God. The land of the family blessing. And so we're going to learn how to live in this realm. We're going to learn and we're going to understand that the blessing of God is generational in nature and not just individual in nature. We're going to understand that the blessing of the Lord is not just for your now, but it is for your future. And not just for your future, but for your children. And not just for your children, but for your children's children. We're going to learn and understand that revelation is not episodic, but it is generational. So often when we say, God gave me a revelation, we're talking about something God showed me right now. But Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that the revealed things are for us and for our children. And that means that if God speaks something to me, if God gives something to me, it then becomes my responsibility to preserve it for my children and to give it to my children and to see to it that they possess it. And so my children can grow in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And, and listen, brothers and sisters, we need this more than ever before because the church of the 21st century is at a crossroads and in the midst of a crisis, a great crisis. And that crisis is this, that our children, by the time they graduate college, 97% of them walk away from Christ. 97%. 97%, 97 out of 100 of our young people growing up in the church, hearing the gospel, by the time they graduate college, they've lost it all. What's the problem? What's happening in the church? The problem is what's happening in the home. And when we're talking about the blessing of God on the family, we're talking about the responsibility of parents, not the responsibility of Sunday school teachers. Because parents, a Sunday school teacher will never disciple your children. It's your job to disciple your children. So we have a lot to say during this series. A lot of things that God has put on my heart for this series. I'm so excited about it. We're going to have a parenting seminar. We're going to give you more details on the date of that parenting seminar. And we're going to work with the parents. We're going to have a powerful time at that parenting seminar, empowering the parents to go to the next level in teaching your children and raising them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We're also going to have a couple seminar, a, a seminar for married couples. That's going to be powerful. It's going to be awesome. My wife and I are so excited about the things that God has put in our hearts to give to our married couples. And we're going to do our best to empower each and every one of you to reach for God's best in your family. But more than anything else, maybe you're here today and you've heard the things that I've said. And maybe you just feel powerless. Maybe you just feel like, man, this is the one area where I can't seem to break through. Parents, maybe you've got wayward children and you just feel powerless to pull them back. Maybe you've got children that you've reached for and you've prayed for and you've cried for and you thought that you did the best that you could to raise them and no matter what you did, they still don't walk with God. Well, I want to encourage you today by the word of the Lord because Abraham felt just as powerless. When he went to the promised land to dwell, he came there with great hope and expectation because God promised to make him a great nation. 
But 20 years went by and he lived outside of the realm of that promise, even though he lived in the land of that promise. But the promise came. It took 20 years, but the promise came. And I want to encourage you, you parents who are believing for your wayward children that though it linger, wait for it, it will surely come. I believe that as we talk about the blessing of God, that the blessing of God is going to break out in your families. But no matter what has transpired, no matter what has gone down, no matter how much pain and how much sorrow you have endured by seeing what the enemy has done to try to destroy your families, I believe that God is greater than all of that pain and sorrow. I believe that his power to restore is greater than the devil's power to destroy. Jesus said that the enemy comes not but for to kill, still, and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And I believe that God has an abundant kind of life in store for you. And we're going to reach for it together. We're going to walk toward it together. And we're going to learn how to live in the land of the family blessing. Let's bow our heads. Is there anybody here who plays keyboard? Never mind. Living Hope, I need a keyboard player to come up to the platform at Living Hope right now. Just pretend you hear keyboard here at New Philly. Father, I speak your blessing over this house today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, this morning as we gather here today, I just speak to those places of pain. And those places of brokenness that have come down through the generations that now rest and reside in the hearts of these, your sons and daughters here. I speak to the place of perceived failure where individuals here may feel shame or condemnation because they look at what's happening in their families and they feel that somehow they failed. And I remove those, that shame, that condemnation, and that sense of failure. I break it off of your life right now in the name of Jesus. I remove it. All of us can look back on our lives and say, I wish I did that differently. All of us can look back at places in our lives and say, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have said that. All of us can. But God is greater than our failures. God is greater. And he is able to restore. And right now I speak faith in your heart. You've believed for your finances. Now you will believe for your family. You have believed for your education. Now you will believe for your family. You've believed for your job and for your business. Now you will believe for your family. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a great evangelist. sees miracles and healings everywhere. And he was telling me about his marriage. And he said, Benjamin, at this point, it's going to take a miracle. And I told him, I said, you live by miracles. You see the blind see and the deaf hear and the lame walk. You see those miracles happen all the time. Now it's time for you to believe for your marriage. And I'm saying to each and every one of you here today, you say, well, it's impossible. Well, I don't care. I don't care if it's impossible. That word impossible only makes sense in the natural, in the human. But in the realm of God and of his spirit, that word impossible doesn't make any sense at all. The Holy Spirit doesn't even understand that word. It doesn't even compute, compute for him. And I say to you today that it's possible. It's possible. God is able to restore. He's able to break the yoke. He's able to bring the captives back from Zion. And he's able to raise you up as a new generation of blessing. And I specifically want to speak to parents 
that are crying out in their hearts for their children. And I say to you today by the word of the Lord that this promise is for you. And this series is for you. And this time is for you. That God is doing something in the heavens and it's about to manifest in the earth. The only question is, will you believe it? Will you believe it? And I come against that unbelief in your heart. I come against that place. You say, well, I've tried to believe. I've believed for so long. Well, Abraham had to believe for 20 years. You don't have a choice. You can't give up. You can't stop believing. You cannot accept the fact that your, your children just will not walk with God. You will not accept that. No, you will not. I don't accept. I will not accept that on your behalf. And I will not allow you to accept it. No. Your children will walk with God. And I speak the blessing of Isaiah chapter 54 over you. I say all of your children will be taught by God. And great will be the peace of your children. And I speak blessing over every family. I speak blessing over every home. The blessing of Abraham. God promised him through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And I say to each and every one of you, your family is going to be blessed through Abraham. Through that Abrahamic promise as you believe it by faith. As you embrace it by faith. And I just speak that blessing over your life today in Jesus' name. And right now, if I could just have the altar workers, the leaders come and stand at the front. As we're closing this service now, Living Hope, any ones of you here today, that you say, I'm struggling in my heart. I'm struggling to believe. I'm struggling in my heart with some kind of shame or condemnation. I'm struggling in my heart because it just doesn't seem possible. I need God to break through in my family. I believe that at this altar today, number one, God is going to break off any shame or condemnation, any sense of failure or, or ineptness on your part. Number two, he's going to give you a new faith, a new ability to believe for the impending blessing of God upon your family. He said to Abraham, I'll make of you a great nation. And that first means I'll make of you a great family. And as you're here at this altar and you're seeking the face of God, I also want you to make some decisions. Have you become unbalanced in one world or another? Have you focused too much of your attention on the church and not enough on your family? Have you focused too much of your attention on your family and not enough on the church? Too much on the world and not enough on the church and the family? What needs to be tweaked? I want to encourage you to begin that dialogue with the members of your family and begin it today. Sit down with your spouse and say, how are we doing? What adjustments do we need to make? If we learn how to live in all three of those worlds, fully engaged and fully faithful. And I want you to know that there's a place of full engagement and full faithfulness in each of those three realms. Full engagement, full faithfulness in each of those three realms. God will empower you to do it. He'll give you the wisdom to do it. You simply got to make a decision that I'm going to do it and I'm not going to make any excuses about not doing it. And I believe if you make that decision today, God will break through in your life. And he'll do it. Father, I just speak blessing. I speak peace. I speak strength. And I speak joy. In Jesus' mighty name. And as we're ending this time, I just want to invite any ones of you that want to come to this altar now for prayer on any of those things that I mentioned, go ahead and come now and our leaders will pray for you. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday.